Welcome to Teach em Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. Today, we are doing part three of our Assess What You Believe series with Ms. Virginia Vogel. Virginia, how's it going? Very well. <laughs> Good. Um, so last time, we talked through a little bit of assessing what you believe, priorities of assessment, and we mentioned that we assess both in content, but also some additional, what I'm going to call soft skills. I kind of hate the term soft skills because it makes them sound less important. Mm-hmm. But soft skills referencing life skills, Uh, things like collaborating with other people, communicating, thinking critically, thinking creatively, uh, having positive character, uh, being culturally competent and able to work with people of a variety of backgrounds. So today we're shifting out of the content section and looking at how we assess students and how we set priorities in those big picture values. Um, So our our kind of theme through these three episodes is that in our priorities, your priorities should match your assessments. If we believe that those skills are really important, then we should be assessing students in those skills. We should be giving them feedback in those skills. We should make that a real priority in our class as well as the academic content. So as as a general balance, how do you kind of find a balance between the content and those soft skills components? Um, I think, like you said, it comes down to what the assessment is and where you're asking the students to demonstrate those skills. So, for example, in our curriculum, we don't just have students, or we don't just assess the students with um, a test. But an assessment and a big assessment piece might be a presentation that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of pulling all those elements together um, and having them demonstrate things um, like their communication skills, but through a presentation or presenting to um, audience members that are professionals and how do they sort of rise to that occasion. So you're grading them um, or assessing them on those skills Um I guess, based off of sort of other things than just your standard tests. Yeah. And do you still give tests in your class? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So it's not like we're dropping the testing component or giving up on the content, but giving students multiple opportunities to demonstrate that content as well as to demonstrate some of those other skills that we value. So I've, I've had kind of a big internal debate as to like how do you prioritize those things in the gradebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me says the, like content and skill stuff are equally important. So the grade book should be about 50% content assessment and 50% skill assessment. Mm-hmm. The other part of me says, ah, it's, it's a little bit more nebulous how you assess those skills. So maybe it's more like 60-40 uh, leaning towards the content side. Um, I think ideally the best way to do it would be able to separate those two things out as we report scores out. Right. So my ideal situation would be that we give students a score in their content and that score gets reported out. Mm -hmm. Like you have a 3.5 out of 4 on your content component. Um, And then we also would give students scores in some of these softer skills. So Mm -hmm. I would love to see us report out a content score. So in physics, here's your score. Mm -hmm. And then also in collaborating with other people, here's your score within your physics class. In communicating about your work, here's your score from your physics class in work ethic and conscientious learning and how much ownership you're taking of your learning, here's your score for your physics class. I think those would be the ones that I would really clearly uh, want to report out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's no, that's not the only things 
that we would assess. It's not the only things that we would give students feedback on, but I think those are the ones that are academically able to be assessed and to give really clear, reportable scores. Right. And I think um, it's interesting because it's sort of that whole debate between like what is the backbone or the structure of your class? Are you saying, you know, as teachers, are we developing students to have a a structure that is Mm content-based or a structure that is um, based off of these six C's, these characteristics that we want to develop our um, graduates to have? And can we just say the answer is yes, Yeah, (laughs) we'd like all of that, please. Yes. And, and I think it's really important as teachers to make sure that we're moving in the direction that we are really um, forcing our students to demonstrate those skills. And um, the only way that you can do that and sort of evidence of this that we see in past practice is if you don't assign points to things, sometimes students don't really try that hard. A hundred percent. And it's interesting that you bring up the idea that, you know, you're assigning points to like a person's character, mm-hmm. which, you know, you're defining that character based off of certain criteria or a rubric to help them develop, right. you know, and develop as they get older, because eventually we're going to push them out of the nest and they're going to go into the real world and they absolutely need those skills. Yeah. They're huge. And that's why I was really clear about not assigning points to the character component. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach character components. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a lot of feedback on character components. But I also feel like character is a really difficult one for me with my own life experience and bias, as we all have bias from our life experiences, mm-hmm. to try to assess somebody else's character. Yes. Um, I think, you know, depending on your religious background, your moral values, uh, it's it's difficult to say what quote-unquote good character is mm-hmm. and whether I or any teacher should be assigning a value to somebody else's character. Right. So there's a few there that I think are really important, but I'm not sure that I feel comfortable assigning a score to. Character would be one of those. Um, cultural competence mm-hmm. would be another. Mm-hmm. I'm 36 years old. I'm a white middle-class male. Uh, it's pretty difficult for me to say that I can assess a 14-year-old Latina girl's cultural competence. Right. We come from different cultures, age-based, ethnic background-based, uh, language-based. And so for me to kind of pretend, oh, I understand and I can give you a score mm-hmm. on your cultural competence it would be a misnomer. Yeah. Okay. So with that said... Um, Let's talk through the parts that we can assess and the parts that we can't Mm -hmm. and talk about how we go about teaching those things and how we go about assessing them and encouraging students to make positive growth in those things. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the six C's. Our district has a graduate profile. And the graduate profile is six characteristics that our district uh, believes all students should leave high school possessing. Our six C's are collaboration, communication, critical thinking, conscientious learning, character, and cultural competence. I think one or two of those are a little bit, uh, we added a C in there just so that it could all be Cs. <laughs> I prefer the term work ethic than cultural com- or than uh, conscientious learner, but it, it makes a nice, nice balance when they all start with Cs. So those are kind of priorities of our district. They're also priorities that you and I hold. When we started the STEM Marin program, we had a very similar set of six. Uh, our six were communication, collaboration, critical thinking, creativity, work ethic, and content. And those are almost one-to-one for the district six C's. Mm-hmm. So conveniently, yeah. we both work in a place where we actually share the values <laughs> of our organization. Yeah. Uh, makes coming to work much easier. Mm-hmm. Let's start with collaboration. 
So collaboration is one of the six C's. It was also one of our STEM Marin core values. How do we go about assessing collaboration for students? How do we go about teaching collaboration skills for students? What does that look like in a classroom setting? So the way that we start is by modeling it with our students. So I think um, you and I have, for the past two years, um, done this gig as team teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and even before that, just in our separate classes, we are modeling the ways that we want students to collaborate because all the way through the STEM program, we're asking students to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we are showing on the forefront that all the teachers are collaborating behind the scenes and making sure that as a program, we're sort of following the same trend. We as team teachers uh, collaborate a lot and discuss what are the things that are going to best suit our students and what's the direction that we're going to take the content so that we can guide them. The so just to clarify there, when you say that we are team teaching, uh, you and I have the same class scheduled during the same class period. Each of us has a full roster, and then we teach them together in one classroom. So the situation ends up with 45 to 60 students in one big room with both Virginia and Nick teaching the course. Mm-hmm. And we kind of alternate who's talking and who's working with small groups and who's going around and uh, working with students. And sometimes neither of us are talking and we're both moving around. Um, it's a lot of fun because you get two adults in the room. It's also a little bit chaotic and crazy because you have 60 or 45 students to figure out what's going on with them and check in with and make sure that we're not both checking in with the same kids over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. So when we're talking about team teaching, that's the situation we're talking about. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then it goes into the curriculum and the content that we have is all Mm project-based. So I think it's very easy to force the students to have to practice those skills of collaboration when they are in a small group that has a project that has a driving question that they are researching, they are um, designing, building. Throughout the whole process, they're working together to... Um, demonstrate those skills of collaboration. Yeah. I think step one is one of the hallmarks of good teaching and good instruction generally is clarity of expectations Mm -hmm. and consistency. So one of the ways that we make our expectations really clear is we give students the rubric that they will be assessed on for collaboration before the project starts. Mm -hmm. So we have a collaboration rubric and the consistency part is we use the same collaboration rubric for all four years of high school. So they start first, you know, first week of freshman year, they get introduced to the collaboration rubric. Uh, three weeks later, they'll do a little collaboration check-in with their group and give tentative scores and feedback on what's working and what's not working. At the end of a project, six weeks in, they'll give a more real collaboration score. And the collaboration rubric has five categories. So we break collaboration down into leadership, cooperation, work ethic and productivity, attitude and demeanor, and empathy. So the idea there is in order to be a good collaborator, sometimes you need to step up and be a leader. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to step back and let somebody else lead. Uh, You have to actually accomplish something. Mm -hmm. So there Mm -hmm. needs to be some work ethic and productivity. You can't just have great ideas and never do anything with them. Um, And then you have to be a decent person. It's not fun to collaborate with a jerk. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have a positive attitude, be pleasant to be around, and show some caring and consideration for the people around you. So those are kind of the five categories that we include in our collaboration rubric. And then each one has a description in the rubric of what does it look like when it's really, really good, 
what does it look like when it's pretty good and what does it look like when it's not quite there yet. So students know with specific language what good collaboration looks like, what they're aiming for, and then they can go through and make sure that they're taking steps to make that a reality. The other component, I think, for our collaboration piece is we have students score each other mm -hmm. and score themselves. Mm -hmm. Again, because you and I are not in a group with the students, we're not contributing to that work. I mean, we are, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. It seems kind of unfair for me to judge how empathetic that student was to the people that they were working with. So I, I haven't been there for every minute of their interactions. The people who have been there for every minute of their interactions are the other people they're working with. Mm -hmm. So we tell them up front, you are going to score the other members of your group, and then we're going to ask you to score yourself. And the way we do that is we have them set up a little a table on a piece of binder paper, have them write in each of the categories, leadership, cooperation, work ethic, and productivity, attitude, and demeanor, empathy, pass it around the table so that each person scores you on those pieces. And then when you get your paper back, you've gotten the scores from all of your other members for you. Mm -hmm. And then you go through and score yourself in each of those five categories. Um, we usually take those three or four scores, cross out the high, cross out the low, and then take the average of the middle ones or take the one middle one. Um, we also reserve the right to modify any of those scores at any time. So if they come back with like 100, 100, 100, 100, 100, it's like, okay, you didn't take this seriously. Uh -huh. yeah. um, we will give you an accurate score. Um, or if it was like, I don't know why you're being so self-critical, but no, you shouldn't be getting 60% in collaboration. You seem like you were really putting forth good effort and working well with people. Uh, we're going to invalidate that score too. Yeah. So we kind of make sure that we take out the super high, we take out the super low, um, and then we ensure that the score is accurate from what we have observed in the classroom. And I think this is um, one of the processes that it's hard in the beginning and it gets easier along the way. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard for students to give honest feedback. Yes. Um, I think it's a lot easier for them to give honest feedback to us as mm -hmm. the teachers to say, you know, this group member, it, you know, they're not working. They roam around the classroom and find other groups to talk to. Which um, we notice as well. <laughs> right. Um, but that is a, like a huge feature to be able to allow students to give honest feedback to each other, mm -hmm. but then to also reflect on their own sense, like how well are they contributing to the group? Mm -hmm. And like you said, sometimes group members have to step up and be a leader, and sometimes they have to fall back and let others lead. Um, but it's a shared process, and it's a learning process along the way. And again, it's what you're going to face on a daily basis that you have to kind of have those skills and develop them and continue developing them because we're not all perfect all the time. So, I mean, some of us. <laughs> okay, maybe not, you're perfect. Not all, not all of us. Uh, no, none of us are perfect all the time. So the other piece that we've put together to kind of help students find the uh, a, ways that they're collaborating or how they can collaborate better is we've created this list of collaboration contributions. Um, and I put it on the back side of the collaboration rubric so that students can look and say, okay, what does a hard contribution look like? A hard contribution would be something where you've produced a product. I wrote something. Mm -hmm. I built something. I designed something. I accomplished some task. I planned something. I organized something. There was a, a, an output product. And then there are other pieces of like soft collaboration contributions 
where I adapted to a change by doing something, or I switched my role from this role to this role, or I mediated a conflict about this, um, or I identified and avoided some challenge before it actually happened. So we want to acknowledge that like there are both hard contributions and soft contributions to collaborative work and validate both of those and then try to think about how can you make sure that you're contributing in both ways, mm-hmm. that you're both accomplishing something and leading to a better uh, work process through those soft contributions. Mm-hmm. The final piece is after students have gone through and scored each other and then scored themselves, they take a look at those scores and we require them to set a goal for the next project. So we ask them to select one of the five categories and then come up with two specific action steps, things that they would be able to see on a daily basis in the class that they are going to attempt to accomplish for their next project. So that's the other piece is that we don't learn by reflecting. We, or sorry, we don't learn from our mistakes. We learn from reflecting upon our mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so if they're realizing like, oh, my collaboration was not where I wanted it to be, great. What can we do better next time? Yeah. And I would say the part that I love about this is just sort of the growth that you can see as students are growing through high school. Mm -hmm. So as freshmen, it's an important skill for them to learn how to set goals because throughout all of their classes, it's going to be helpful for them to set goals and not only goals, but like specific action steps that will help them to reach those goals. Yeah. Then oftentimes, um, you know, I've been helping teach the freshmen for two years, but I've typically had the juniors Mm -hmm. and to have juniors sit down and write goals. I feel like the juniors, their lives are just like moving by them so fast. And they're looking not only towards like what they're doing right now so fast, but it's like everything's towards the future and like, you know, college this and college that. And, um, Sometimes we're moving so fast that we forget to stop and make those goals. But if you're looking ahead to the future, you kind of know where you want to go. Um, and to set a goal is to sort of set that path to get you there. Yeah. You know, and to set realistic goals that are going to get you to that point and action steps that are going to get you to that point. Right. Because you can be as frantic as you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not actually making progress towards the main thing that you want to make progress towards, being frantic and being super busy doesn't do much for you. Right. It's important to have that big picture goal idea that helps you move forward. Yeah. Okay. So that was our first piece, collaboration. Um, One of the second areas that we really value uh, is critical thinking. Um, Critical thinking, and I would call this problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, We can also include creativity within our critical thinking piece. How do we encourage critical thought among our students? How do we encourage creative thought in the work that they do? I think it comes down to the projects that we design. Mm-hmm. Um, allowing students to have um, freedom in the choice of what they'd like to do. And more importantly, um, topics that they want to pursue or questions that they want to ask. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big things of why I wanted to go into science is I just love asking questions and then having to sort of discover that. And it's one thing for like me personally to have that and enjoy it, but to sort of get students to feel the same way, you have to sometimes push them, but mostly inspire them or present things, um, challenges in front of them that they have to like solve problems to try to figure out. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big one is if you give students a bunch of really challenging real problems, Mm -hmm. they will have to think critically. Um, And when I say real problems, I mean, not I mean, practice problems out of the textbook is great, but we're talking about big picture 
problems facing the world that don't have really clear, obvious solutions. Mm -hmm. As much as possible, I try to give students problems that I don't know the answer to. Uh, things that we are continuing to struggle with as a society or as a scientific community. Um, like, how do we get clean water to people of very low income in third world countries? Like, I, that continues to be a problem for right. us as a world. Yeah. Um, how do we protect the environment and make positive change? Because that's a really complex component. And there's a balance between economic incentives and environmental pieces and cultural pieces and scientific pieces. So, like, if we have those really interesting things that people are struggling with, those are great things for high schoolers to work on mm -hmm. because it requires critical thought. And it's real world. Like, it's real... It's not a fake situation that you're sort of crafting to kind of get them to go down an avenue. Mm -hmm. It really is these grappling questions that they can research and they can be passionate about and they can sort of move forward with that. Yeah. We do also have a critical thinking rubric. Um, we include a critical thinking component of each of our projects. So when we assess the project, we kind of look at how did students uh, do on their critical thinking. Um, and we break critical thinking down into three components. Uh, curiosity, questioning, and inquiry is the first one. So did you find something interesting and did you go and pursue it? Uh, constructing claims using multiple perspectives is the second component. So can you think about things from different angles? Uh, can you take yourself outside of your own experience and think about it from somebody else's experience? And then finally, problem solving. So like analysis, interpretation, uh, trying to take those application steps or making an inference based on what you see, those like higher level thinking processes. Mm -hmm. um, the other component that we kind of put into critical thinking is creativity. And creativity, I think we often get lost in creativity as like, oh, I'm a good drawer. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm good at art. Yeah, and it can my, make something my, look pretty. <laughs> right, my vision of art is painting or drawing. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. When we talk about creativity, especially in an academic context, we're talking about creativity of thought. Mm -hmm. So are you good at solving problems in different ways? Mm -hmm. Can you think outside the box a little bit? Can you come up with a new idea to solve an old problem? Mm -hmm. Or if we've been doing the same thing over and over again, are you clever enough to think about a way to do it differently, a way to modify our thought process to make a positive impact? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's our critical thinking creativity piece. Our third uh, soft skill core value component is communication. And communication kind of breaks down into three components for me. There is written communication, there is oral spoken uh, presentation communication, and then finally there is some kind of like visual multimedia um, digital okay. communication. How do we encourage positive communication from students? And how do we assess those things? Okay, so um, I would say in the written communication, um, one way that we develop our students is having them write clear paragraphs. Mm -hmm. um, at higher level classes, we have them um, design experiments where they sort of know the structure of what you would have in a typical experiment, but getting them to address, like, um, how do you design an experiment that has a control and what are the variables that you're changing 
and um, then kind of getting back to that data analysis Mm -hmm. um, sort of that you were talking about. So putting those written components together. Yeah, and I think writing instruction, we're going to go into a lot more depth in a few weeks um, when we talk to Shay Matthews about literacy and uh, writing instruction in a science classroom or in a non-English classroom, Mm -hmm. because I think that's a big focus for us, Mm -hmm. is obviously you do a lot of reading and writing in English, Mm -hmm. but we'd like to see literacy, reading and writing across the curriculum. And we're seeing more and more that teachers who are not English teachers are holding some of that burden and helping students uh, develop some of those reading and writing skills outside of their English classes, as well as inside their English classes. English continues to be really important. We just want to make sure that students aren't siloing their learning so that they're thinking like, well, I'm not in English class. I don't have to read uh, or I'm not in math class. Why would I be looking at a number? Like, no, all of this is integrated. It should all come together valuably. Yeah. And I think that that contributes a lot to as uh, Samarin and as teachers, like we're all on the same battlefield and we're really trying to develop students all together. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, you know, okay, that's just English class and you're just working on that part of your developing as a student in English class, you know, we all, like you said, share that burden. And um, I like to think helps students grow in more areas than just their their one area. Right. You should be practicing things multiple times yeah. throughout the day in multiple different facets. Okay, so the writing piece we'll uh, come back to and do in more depth. The second component of communication is like presentation. Um, we do a ton of work on public speaking, mm-hmm. uh, oral presentation, visual presentation, and speaking publicly in a professional setting. Um, and when we do that, we think about a few different pieces. First, we think about what you're actually saying. Are you accurate? Are you specific? Are you concise and clear? The second piece is like, do you have supports for your evidence? Um, do you, you've got a claim that you're making and then you're able to support it with good evidence? And then how do you engage your audience? So step one is knowing who your audience is. You're speaking to a kindergarten class should be of a very different tone and using different vocabulary than if you're speaking to a boardroom full of business executives. You'll want to modify your dress. You'll want to modify the way you're standing um, so that you can address both of those important audiences. Um, And then how do you listen back to your audience, pay attention to your audience's body language, modify based on who's making eye contact with you or not making eye contact with you, um, and listening to the feedback and adjusting based on that. Uh, So we have a communication rubric. We've also got a presentation rubric that is really specific about what a good presentation looks like in terms of body language, in terms of uh, eye contact, in terms of voice, in terms of like how you're making your points, explanation of ideas and information, the presentation aids you're using, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How do we actually go about teaching those things? Um, it requires practice from students. So, and it requires them to go beyond just the, okay, I'm going to make a PowerPoint and I'm going to have to present that PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. But it's talking up the, like you said, they have to be mindful ahead of time who is the audience that they are presenting to. Mm -hmm. Um, What modifications do they have to do with that? It's a skill that we continue to teach um, students as they develop. Um, I just had my junior class do a presentation and it made me reflect back on that, that I didn't 
prep them a whole lot in thinking ahead as to they knew who they were presenting to and mm-hmm. they knew it was high stakes and they yep. knew they were presenting to professionals and it was for you know they were going to be judged on which group had a better sort of um, plan but we didn't practice so much the skills of what do you actually have on your PowerPoint? How mm-hmm. many words do you have on your PowerPoint? Mm-hmm. You know, um, what's the time limit that you're presenting to? Yep. Just because you talk a lot does not mean that you're making you know, your point any better. Right. Right. So uh, again, it's that's the skills that you continue to practice and um, develop with students and um, yeah, model so, for them. So kind of like hitting all of those. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot with our freshmen is stepping one, starting with your visual aids. Mm-hmm. If you have a PowerPoint presentation or any visual aid, we talk about the rule of three by five, which is the idea that if you have words on a screen, humans just won't read more than 15 words. So if you go over 15 or so words, they won't read any of them. It's not like I'll read the first 15 words of your paragraph. Uh, I might do that in a book, mm-hmm. but on a screen, 15 words, and if it looks like more than 15, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I won't read them at all. So you got to limit your words down. And we say we use the rule of three by five because that means you could either have three bullet points with five words per bullet point or five bullet points with three words per bullet point or some variation therein. Um, but you want to focus on not full sentences, um, just kind of like blurbs and key ideas. That also really helps with their speaking mm-hmm. because if they glance at their slide, they can't just read sentence fragments. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could, but they know that sounds super awkward. So then if they glance at a sentence fragment, they have to fill in the blanks and it sounds much more like natural conversation and will lead to them speaking clearly much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a nice component, both for not overwhelming the audience and recognizing that a visual aid should be visual. So it should be less words, more pictures, more graphs, um, so that they're using the words, saying a paragraph's worth of words, but we only see a couple words. Right. And to me, that's that's real presentation skills, not mm-hmm. just reading from the board. And the more that you can kind of take that information and pare it down to what's the important stuff, mm-hmm. then you're forced to be able to present on that content. Mm-hmm. Another piece that I think, I mean, a lot of it is practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the more presentations students have to do, the better they get at them. Yeah. I've also found that it's really helpful to give immediate feedback and immediate verbal feedback as soon as they've finished presenting. Mm-hmm. I really liked what you did with this, this, and this. I think your areas for growth is that you need to stop apologizing for your work. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me, oh, yeah, the car I built is really bad. Like, well, then I'm not interested in it. <laughs> uh, try to figure out why is it struggling and then explain why it's struggling, but phrase it in a positive way. Still sell it. Right. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like using real estate language. Mm-hmm. It's not cramped and small and uh, <laughs> like it's cozy. Uh-huh. It's a yeah. beautiful, cozy cottage. Uh, so you got to think about like how do you phrase that, but different things are going to come up at different times for different kids. And so giving that immediate verbal feedback, not that I'm cr- criticizing their work, but I'm telling them, you did this part really, really well. I really like that you weren't reading straight off the board. You made eye contact with your audience. Your voice was really clear. You sound really confident and strong. Now we need to work on how you like use positive words to promote what you're saying. Um, the other piece that I noticed, I just had my freshmen presenting their uh, alternative energy vehicles. They had designed a car to go five meters and stop on the five meter mark. And one of my classes they were just very hesitant in their voice. 
like very soft-spoken, very uh, low energy. And so at the end, we, we all stood up and we practiced our speaking voices. Like I had them stand two feet, don't lean on anything, straight up. And then we practice saying, I'm like, this is my speaking voice. <laughs> and then they repeat. Um, and you just kind of go back and forth on like practicing projecting your voice without yelling at people. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking loudly, but I am not yelling at you. And so you just kind of go back and forth. So you got to kind of adjust to that and steal three minutes or five minutes to add that skill as soon as you see that it needs adding. And I think as teachers too, it's important to, for us to remember you know, these are high school students. With everything that we talk about today, you have to practice. Yes. And you have to give them multiple opportunities, not just me standing in front of them and saying, okay, here's how you give a presentation and here's mm-hmm. the best things. They need that. But what's going to help benefit them is that they get out there and they do it. Yeah. And they practice those skills and they get the feedback and then they do it again. And then they get more feedback and they try at it again and just keep at it. Yeah, you have to remember that this is the first time for many of them that they've done anything like this. And so you continue to hold them to high expectations uh, and to demand that they keep improving and do it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also give them some positive feedback saying, well, you made great progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time you were super tentative. And this time you managed to step out from in, like behind the table. Now you're standing in front of the table and you're connecting with your audience so much better. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's two components of presentation. The third component of communication is digital communication. And we primarily have them have our students do that through website design. So one of the first things we have students do when they start freshman year with us is they design and build a website. And we do this for every single student uh, at our high school. So every kid during their science class freshman year does two or three days of website design and we use a pretty user-friendly drag-and-drop uh, format. We've shifted over to Google Sites because the kids all have Google accounts and it's linked to all their student work. Previously, we used Weebly because it was free. Um, and you could do some like nice aesthetic pieces. Um, and I didn't like Google Sites at first because it was really ugly and didn't look like a nice website. But they've made tremendous improvements so that now it actually looks like a good, well-put-together website. Um, So they design a website, and that website serves as their academic portfolio. So every time we do a big project or a large assignment or learn big new content, we have students update their website and describe what they did during the project, provide some evidence of work. So they might post the video that they made or the picture of the thing they designed or their essay. They could just embed the whole essay on the page. Then they describe the content that they learned. Uh, It gives them a chance to reflect on the actual academic content. And then finally, they write a reflection about how they grew as a person during the project and what areas they still want to work on as a person. And for those, that reflection, we ask them to really focus on some of the six C components. How did you do with collaboration? How did you do in terms of taking ownership of your learning and really working hard? Uh, How did you do in terms of communication? What did you demonstrate through this project. I think that does a couple things. Number one, it gives them a way to track their growth and to think about, oh boy, at the beginning of freshman year, I was my, my work, I thought it was really good, and I look back on it now, and it's not very good. The second piece is we have this belief that we don't learn from our mistakes, we learn from reflecting mm-hmm. on our mistakes. 
And so it gives them an opportunity to reflect on what went well during this project. Why did it work? What didn't go so well? Why didn't it work? And what do I do differently for next time to continue to make progress? Mm -hmm. And reflect on their learning, and it kind of helps cement some of the learning ideas in as they're thinking about their work. Absolutely. I think um, just sort of even stepping back, there's two great things that I see with the website up, um, academic portfolios that students make. Number one, they have progress from all four years mm -hmm. and not just in their science classes, but in all their classes, if they have the opportunity and if they take the opportunity, because some teachers, I mean, we force our students to do it, but yeah. some teachers don't. Um, That's right. We, so we, when we set up the website, we set up a page for each grade level. So they'll have like a ninth grade drop-down menu, a 10th grade drop-down menu. And then we also set up a page for each class. Mm -hmm. So we'll set up a page for math, we'll set up a page for English, and then all they have to do is get on that page and do the update for their ninth grade English class. But I mean, it's like this portfolio that when they leave as seniors, they have these tremendous projects that they've worked on um, that you know, either were good, bad, or ugly, mm -hmm. um, but they're reflecting on it and they're showing proof of their work and they can use that moving forward. They could use that for applying to colleges. They could use that for applying to jobs. Mm -hmm. They could use that for whatever else they'd want to use it for. Um, and then I think the other really important thing is it's a positive way that we're teaching students, specifically teenagers, how to use um, technology and have sort of this academic um, way that they're putting themselves out in the universe in a digital format. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really hard for students these days because they have so much social media that's all about, you know, what's trending and yep. what's hip and cool and who's got the best this, that, and the other. What your snap score is. Right? I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> um, but this is like their academic version of who they are mm -hmm. and um, the growth that they've made. And I think that as um, educators, we're fostering that piece as well. Yeah, we're trying to get them used to having a public professional profile and recognizing that somebody can look you up and find some stuff. So how do you craft your digital trail? Mm -hmm. How do you ensure that what you're putting forward is of a professional manner that would benefit you in the future? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is not an easy lesson to teach. No. <laughs> but it's an important one. Yeah. Um, because what you do online is findable. Yeah. So you want to make sure that that's you're presenting things in a positive manner, and that the you know your your academic work appears academic and professional. Uh, and you're right. I I include that on every single letter of rec that I write. I think that's a really powerful piece too, because like I could write a letter of rec and say, oh, this kid's a really hard worker. They do great work. But that sounds like every other teacher's letter yeah. of recommendation. If I can say. The student works super hard. They do tremendous work. You can see the quality of their work on their academic website here mm -hmm. and provide the link. Then it's like, oh, there's some legitimacy there. And wow, this yeah. kid was building a plane as a senior? Mm -hmm. Whoa, what's going on there? Um, so because they're hopefully doing some really cool work, some stuff that they should be proud of, we want to highlight that and let that kind of give them some opportunities going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. When I have to do letters of rec, um, they all they all sound the same. But now that I have the opportunity, um, when students come back as seniors and I've had them as juniors, I go back and look at their junior year and give specific examples of mm -hmm. where they demonstrated the things that you know the colleges want to see them demonstrate. And I can give those examples and say, you know, here's what they did on this project, or here's how they were in class. And um, I think it's more meaningful. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've talked about collaboration, we've talked about critical thinking, we've talked about communication. Uh, the next component is called either work ethic, which is the term that I prefer, or conscientious learner, which is the term that the district uses because it starts with a C and you mm-hmm. can't have six C's. And, and I mean, six C's is much better than five C's and one W. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'd like more W's in our lives generally as somebody with a last name that starts with a W. We always <laughs> neglect the end of the alphabet. Right, Vogel? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Okay, so work ethic or conscientious learning is basically an ownership of your own work. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you accomplishing in class each day? How are you staying focused? How are you making sure that stuff gets done? And if it's not getting done, how are you reflecting on that and going back and modifying your work to make it better? Mm -hmm. Um, How do we teach that? How do we demonstrate that for students? How do we ensure that work ethic remains high if we're just evaluating them on proficiency? Well, I think one of the ways um, that it happens is by sort of handing over to them, not fully, but handing over to them what they are learning um, and allowing them to take ownership of that. And Mm -hmm. it's getting away from the traditional, I'm the teacher, I'm giving you all the content, learn it, Mm -hmm. feed it back to me. You know, and it's allowing them to sort of really take ownership of the direction that they take things um, and... Um, how do they manage projects? How do they manage with their groups? Um, and sort of developing those skills as, as they go. Yeah, and I think we do have some tools that help with that. Um, we have a conscientious learning rubric. Um, and I guess I use the term rubric over and over again. A rubric is like a, a table, and each box of the table describes what something looks like. So you'd have like categories, and then you'd have scores, like a one, two, three, four etc. Um, and each box describes if you are at the highest level, here's what this looks like. If you are at the medium level, here's what this looks like. Um, so that when we're talking about rubrics, it's a way of putting language to something that's not just a straight numerical piece. Right. And with all of these six C's, um, you know, you've spent a lot of time with the district making these rubrics. Uh-huh. But the reason for that is so that we can actually give um, clear um, verbiage to like what it looks like. Yeah. So that students, when we're asking them to demonstrate at high levels, they know what sort of is expected of them at that high level. Yeah. So within conscientious learning, um, we've decided that those areas include goal setting and time management. So how do students manage their time, keep themselves on track? How do they set goals and then make progress towards those goals? Uh, self-refre- self-reflection. So self-assessing their own learning Um, learning from mistakes, uh, risk-taking, and risk-taking is more like embracing challenges, Mm -hmm. academic challenges, not like, yeah, I like to ride ride my bike real fast. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I go skydiving all the time. (laughs) Like our risk-taking is more like academic Mm -hmm. risk-taking. Do I try things that I don't know how to do Mm -hmm. um, and then practice them to try to get better at them? That's an academic risk. Um, and build my confidence by recognizing strengths and work to overcome obstacles. Uh, And then finally, like self-advocacy or agency, self-agency. So that's taking ownership of your own learning. Basically understanding that like there's one person in charge of how much you learn and it is you. Mm -hmm. A teacher can create conditions that make that easier or harder for you. But at the end of the day, the one person who's in charge of your learning is the student. Mm -hmm. Um, So using resources wisely, Um, taking ownership of the learning, kind of making sure that you're doing everything you can to learn what you need to learn. 
So those are components of conscientious learning. Um, they're also components of work ethic, right? How hard, and I guess working smart and working hard. So yes, you are on task, you're focusing, and you're doing it in a thoughtful, intelligent way that helps you gain skills, that helps you gain understanding so that you can then put that understanding into effect. Um, this is kind of a huge one, and it's, it's one that is really difficult because as we do project-based learning stuff, or as we do anything where students have ownership of their own learning, they can choose to take mm -hmm. that ownership in a bunch of different directions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're like, yeah, yeah, no, I've got this totally handled. And then they realize the day before it's due, I don't have this totally handled. Like, oh, I should have been on task more often. And yeah, you should have. Yeah. So now what do we do with that? Well, let's learn from it. Uh, let's try everything you possibly can so that you can get it done in the next 24 hours. And then let's make different choices next time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to have the opportunity to make a mistake like that in order to make a different choice the next time. Right. And I think it's always practicing um, making sure that you are working towards an end goal. Like just because you're standing there with a drill in your hand all mm -hmm. class period does not mean that you're contributing to something. That's right. You I, could be, but yeah. <laughs> you could just have a drill in your hand. <laughs> yeah, I can put a lot of holes in something. Unless those holes are in the right places, it doesn't do much positive work. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not, I mean, some of it is action-based, and some of it is thoughtful action-based. Mm -hmm. And we definitely want to enhance the thoughtful part and ensure that the work is productive. Right. And again, it's like shifting the idea I think we do a good job shifting um, students' perspective of like who needs to take ownership of their education. Mm -hmm. And in shifting that, they also have to realize like it is their responsibility. Yeah. And that's something we can say until we're blue in the face and something that educators have been saying for a very long time. Uh, but there's also a matter of like making that a practice. If we make it a practice and students really do take ownership of their learning, then cross your fingers, hopefully, that leads to a change in action and additional effort and additional learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So the last two are the two that um, I feel the least confident in evaluating, but two that are possibly the most important, and those are character and cultural competence. So I think we should probably address them separately. We do have rubrics, expectations for character and for cultural competence. Um, we teach those skills. We give feedback on those skills. But again, I don't feel comfortable assigning a number to a character or a number to, you know, A, I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> player. Uh, so is that a thing? Do you do you put numbers to characteristics in Dungeons and Dragons? I don't know. I don't know. It seems, it seems like you should. We should have had Corey Boyd on for this. He, he'd know. Um, so... You know, for character, um, we we break character down into a few different components. The components that we break it into are growth mindset. So the idea that I can improve my skills and my abilities through hard work and focused practice. And growth mindset has been a big focus point for educators uh, in the last few years. There's this uh, dichotomy of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Fixed mindset is the idea that I am a certain amount of smart, and if I'm a certain amount of smart, then that's as smart as I can be. And growth mindset is the idea that I can work harder to make myself smarter. So I can add new skills, I can add additional uh, abilities by working hard through something. 
And if you have a growth mindset, your chance of success is going to be much, much higher. That's a tricky one to teach somebody because many of us are kind of intrinsically set in a fixed mindset. But being able to expand to a growth mindset is a really positive thing in terms of performance. Other parts of character, uh, integrity. So telling the truth, taking responsibility, thinking through decision-making, being reliable, respect, being thoughtful, listening to others, adhering to rules, and then finally values. So I say values is like having a consistent set of morals and then holding yourself to a high standard for those set of morals. I'm not going to mandate what your set of morals should be, but I do think it's good to have one. And then considering the needs of others in your value system. So I think that's also part of values that your moral code should at least in some way incorporate other people. <laughs> if it's all about you, uh, that's the one area where I would say I, I would like to slightly modify your value system so that the needs of others are considered. <laughs> so we have these pieces um, to evaluate character in. Most of the character evaluation that we do is student self-reflection because I don't think I can evaluate students in those areas. And sometimes students can't evaluate themselves in these areas yet. Mm -hmm. But the more time they spend thinking about it, the more time they spend evaluating themselves and thinking about, can you give an example of a place in the last six weeks where you demonstrated this characteristic? Mm -hmm. Where did you demonstrate your moral values? What action did you take that fit with your set of values, your moral code? Um, what set of act, what action did you take that demonstrated integrity? That's kind of an area where I think students can make progress by thinking about it, reflecting on it. I can hold them responsible for writing something and then thinking about how they would score themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say um, it's really difficult to assess this one if you don't know your students. Correct. And I think that getting to the place where you really know your students and you talk to them and you're communicating with them, um, that's when you can kind of draw some of this stuff out of them. Mm -hmm. And I found that um, I focused on character and cultural competence a lot last year when I was teaching AVID. Um, I taught AVID for 11 years. And last year, I had my AVID students score themselves um, every marking period on the six C's. And I shouldn't say score. I had them self-evaluate and reflect on each of the six C's. Um, and so they, they would go through each characteristic of character and try to write out where's an example of where I did this and am I meeting this standard yet or am I still approaching it or have I exceeded it? I'm like awesome on growth mindset. Uh, personally, I think I'm still approaching growth mindset. Uh, it's a tough one for me. I I'm a naturally fixed mindset person, and so I have to keep reminding myself, like, growth mindset is positive. Mm -hmm. You'll do better if you have a growth mindset. Um, and that's fair. Like, some of them are going to come really naturally, and others are not going to come as naturally for different people. But with my AVID class, because I had had them for all four years, and they were now seniors, and they were getting ready to graduate and shift off to college or the, you know, an outside world, um, I think it was really valuable for them to think about where have I demonstrated these skills and how am I doing on them if this is what's expected of me in order to graduate. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I knew them really well. We'd been together for a long time. It was a very safe space. We all supported each other and that made it easy and possible to do some evaluation on this. Mm -hmm. And I still put more of the burden of evaluating onto them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one is cultural competence. 
Again, this is one that is really difficult for an outsider to assess cultural competence of your own person. Mm -hmm. So I would say similar to character, it's a great one for, to have students self-assess. Um, we have three characteristics or three, three categories within cultural competence, and those categories are cultural self-awareness, so being able to look at your own assumptions, your own judgments, uh, your own biases, uh, your own background, and understand how that influences your view of the world. The second component is global worldview, so understanding cultures outside of your own, um, taking a look at different areas of values, um, beliefs, practices, and then engaging with other cultures, trying to learn more about those things. And then finally, the third one is community advocacy. Um, how do you work through your community to try to implement positive change? Um, again, those are tough. Those are yeah. <laughs> really big, lofty goals, but also something that we would kind of hope people are doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say kind of on a personal level, it is really hard to assess students on this one. Yeah. Um, I try to demonstrate more with my students and also for myself this is one that I feel like a 60 that I'm always trying to work on. Mm -hmm. And the more, again, that I as a teacher am working on understanding, you know, like um, my students and where they come from and their backgrounds or, you know, try to get projects that are not so local but make them more global. Mm -hmm. um, we're working towards sort of meeting the 60 as a, as, a, as a community, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and both local and global are important. Mm -hmm. um, but ensuring that there's some kind of value add implementing positive change is also important mm -hmm. and gives kids the feeling that what they're doing in school is not meaningless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I kind of see value both ways there. All right. So we've got those uh, six kind of soft skill, uh, big picture, you call them six C's, you call them core values. Um, but those were, just to refresh, collaboration, critical thinking, communication, work ethic or conscientious learning, character, and cultural competence. And that's a lot to hold. It's a lot for students to kind of comprehend. And so you have to work piece by piece by piece. But one of the ways that um, this year we've started kind of making clear our expectations from the beginning is on the very first day of school, when we meet students for the first time, when we give them a syllabus, we've also started giving them this core tools packet. And the core tools packet is all of the rubrics for everything that we hold valuable. So we give them, it's kind of a monster overwhelming <laughs> packet for the first day. Yeah. Like, and part of me feels real bad for like, welcome to high school, ka-chunk. <laughs> here's your stuff. Here's, here's everything important. Um, but it incorporates both the soft skills and the content pieces. So I put together a core tools packet and if we go through page by page, um, it actually has a table of contents because there's a bunch of pages and a bunch of things to go through. But it first lists out what are the six C's? What's the graduate profile when you graduate from high school? What do we expect of you? Um, what are the expectations for STEM Marin, our smaller program within the larger district and school? Um, here's our syllabus for this particular class. Here's our grading procedures, et cetera. And then we go through uh, piece by piece. So collaboration rubric and collaboration contributions, communication rubric and presentation rubric, critical thinking rubric, conscientious learner rubric, cultural competence rubric, character rubric. Man, the word rubric sounds funny when you say it a bunch of times. 
Um, then we also give them all of the content pieces. So here's what we use to evaluate the final product of a project. We're going through a project, now it's time to score it. Here are the areas that we're looking at and how we score them. Um, we give them their website update rubric, as well as an example of a really good website update. Um, we have the clear paragraph, clear writing description in there, a uh, description of how we do quiz corrections and how to modify work to improve it. Uh, then we have our lab write-up rubric and an experimental design template. So when you're designing an experiment, here's the variables you need to keep in mind and here's how to put them together to turn it into an experiment and uh, how to take data from that. And then finally, we include our physics everything sheet which is like a table where we encourage students, actually not encourage, mandate <laughs> students to write down every key important concept that we cover in class. And they're allowed to use that on any exam that we give with the idea that we don't want physics to be a memorization class. We want them to apply the understanding of what they have. But maybe if you can't remember the unit for energy, mm -hmm. you can just glance at your physics everything sheet where it says potential energy and like, oh, that's the unit of joules. Okay, cool. So now I know what unit to put with that number. I think there's benefits and downsides to front loading this and giving all of this stuff at the very beginning. In the first few months, it seemed really overwhelming. Um, the nice part is what we're encouraging students is like at least a couple times a week, okay, pull out your core tools packet because we're going back into one of those areas. Pull out your core tools packet, open up to the collaboration rubric. We're gonna check in on collaboration. Pull out your core tools packet, open it up to your physics everything sheet. We're gonna add something new on that. Pull out your core tools packet, uh, open it up to experimental design template. We're gonna uh, design an experiment. And I really like it because the more you reference it, the more they're like, oh, these are the important parts. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it has everything for them in one place. So they just keep pulling it back out, pulling it back out, pulling it back out, instead of make a new copy of this, make a new mm -hmm. copy of this, and then throw it away. Right. Make a new copy of this, and they're like, ah, the teacher just hands me a paper. Yeah. I don't know. This way, it's one big thing, it's at the very beginning of the year, and then it has every important thing, every rubric, uh, every evaluative tool, so they know what are the values that they're being held to. Right. Well, it's funny, at the end of last year when you showed this to me and you're like, all right, here's my idea of this core packet. What do you think? And I mean, it I don't. It has a lot of pages in it. And I just thought right off the bat, oh my gosh, this is a lot to like hand out on day one. Yeah. But like you're saying, it really kind of um, encompasses what our core values are and shows students, you know, when we use it repeatedly, how important it is. And not only that, but, you know, if we can incorporate it all four years, it's the same rubrics that they're used to seeing. It's the same um, things that we're having them address. And uh, they're able to demonstrate it multiple times. And in pulling it out all the time, they get used to saying, oh, yeah, okay, this really is important. You know, it's our playbook. And you got to know the playbook. Right. And you're not going to know it on day one. But by the end of the year, they should be able to not have to be asked every time to pull it out, but they know, oh yeah, okay, that, here we mm -hmm. go, <laughs> get and the playbook out. And that's the hope, is that this is something that they can use for all four years. Mm -hmm. um, we're starting with our freshmen and saying, here's our values, here's what you're held to. Um, and then they should be able to keep using the exact same one next year mm -hmm. and the year after and the year after because our values are consistent across our whole school, mm -hmm. across our whole district, across our whole small program. Um, and students, once they understand those values, 
will get used to knowing how to use those tools and you've got the consistency and you've got the clarity of expectations. And then hopefully you build all those skills and leave as a better, more well-rounded, happier, positive person. That's right. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) With that, Virginia Vogel, thank you so much for coming on, concluding our Assess What You Believe series by focusing on the parts that I think are the most important, those soft skills, life skills components. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) 